You're listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, episode number six. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. I'm very excited about our guest today. We have Scott Millman coming to us from Detroit, Michigan. He is a business owner. He's owned a family business. He's owned a manufacturing business. He's got over 20 years of management and ownership experience in business. He's done a lot with organizations and government agencies in his area, and we're excited to have him today to share everything you need to know about what to do to run your business, to transition through a rough time in the economy, and also to come out on the other side with some new products. So welcome, Scott. We're so glad to have you here. Um, To get started, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, personally, professionally, anything you think we need to know to get a little bit of background on you so we can kind of know who you are. Hey, Christy. Thanks for having me, first off. I I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. So, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm still hoarse from a cold, so I sound a little scratchy still, but for the most part, I'm in good shape. So, I am basically a fourth-generation business owner, and uh, Bean Steel was a, uh, a small steel service center that was started by, honestly, my great-grandfather, went through my grandfather, my dad, and then myself, and uh, we did uh, really well. I took over that company uh, as president in 2006 when my father passed away, and took it from uh, about two, two and a half million dollar company to a seven million dollar company before the recession. And uh, when the recession hit, uh, we suffered uh, some pretty big losses as far as inventory goes. And, and there were a number of changes that needed to be made. And uh, in that process, we uh, were fortunate enough to come up with a new product and uh, took the company in a completely different direction and started manufacturing a steel cover system for uh, abandoned, vacant and foreclosed properties. Uh, and obviously, you know that in Detroit, blight has been a huge issue as it is in, in other parts of the country. Right. So we kind of uh, rebranded ourselves a little bit and uh, went in an entirely different direction. And we took, you know, a combined 30 years of knowledge between myself and my business partner and uh, went in a totally different direction. And that part's been exciting. It's been a challenge because it's the first business we've, you know, actually started from scratch. But it's been a, a great process. And I think the things that I did at Bean Steel over the, the, the last decade or so really helped us get to where we're at. That That is exciting, especially whenever you can kind of uh, see the transition from the old family business to actually being able to do the new, almost like a startup and kind of still be in the same industry. So that's definitely a unique perspective on that. Now, Scott, you you mentioned that you were like the fourth generation owner of your family business. Did you always know growing up that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, that you wanted to be in the business? When did that come about? I think when my parents said at 15, 16 years old, if I wanted to get a car and pay for gas, that I I had to go get a job. And <laughs> I didn't want to get a job at that point, but I wanted my car. I uh, I got into uh, basically buying and selling baseball cards and sports memorabilia, just on a on a small scale, but. Wow. At that point in time, I kind of learned really quick that it was much better to to be your own boss than have to go into work and have a job because working in the fruit market when I absolutely had to uh, wasn't ideal for me. So ah. I kind of liked the freedom of being able to swing deals and, you know, buy a baseball card for a buck and maybe sell it for two or three and be able to afford, you know, gas back then was probably less than 99 cents. If you Yeah. If you can remember that far back. I do. Yeah, I definitely remember. We would always we used to always stop in Atlanta and always get the 99 cent gas every time we went somewhere. So, that's great. All right, so we just dated ourselves right there. That, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't even know what generation they call us, but it's old at this point. So, but um let me ask you this. I know growing up in a small uh, a family that's in a, a business in a small business, you, you got to see as a kid some of the ups and downs of um, what your parents went through and what your grandparents went through. Um, and even with that, you you still wanted to go into business. So you must have had a, a pretty good example set by what your parents and grandparents were doing. I think any business is tough. I think family businesses are very tough and dealing with the dynamics. And I've been fortunate enough 
through uh, networking groups and business groups that I'm associated with that I've known other third and, and second generation business owners. Uh, working for family is an interesting dynamic. And, right. uh, my father and I had a, had a very interesting dynamic and, you know, it was, I had to learn it was his way or no way. And we had to learn to separate, you know, the family part of it from the business mm-hmm. part of it. And that, that's always a challenge, but mm-hmm. we worked well together. Uh, I was taught very well by my dad and, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons from my grandfather on how to conduct business, uh, mm-hmm. being professional. Uh, and I've got a great story that I've got to tell you. Absolutely. So when, when my dad, when I first started it, it being steel, my dad basically threw me in the plant and said, start cutting steel. You're going to learn from the very basics and you're going to work your way up through. So, you know, after a couple of years, I was in the plant and I was doing shipping and receiving and I was loading and unloading trucks every day. Well, I had a driver come in and he just gave me the hardest time when he came in to the point where I, I just I lost it. And I just wanted to oh, kill no. the driver, storm into the office. <laughs> driver follows me in there. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, I'm not loading this guy. I don't care who he is. You know, he did this, this, and this, said this, this, and, and, and the language was really bad at this point. <laughs> and my dad looked at me, started laughing. He says, he says, son, I want you to meet Chet. This is the owner of Riverside Tank, which happened to have happened to be one of my dad's closest friends in the business. Also oh happened, no! Happened to be one of our biggest customers. Oh no! And a very, very valuable lesson. <laughs> that day, I treated. Everybody. And my dad told me, I don't care who walks in the building. You treat them like they're the owner of their company. And it's wow. with me today. And believe it or not, uh, we had other owners that were owner operators that either own their own trucking companies and were driving because they had to or because that's just what they did. Or we had owners of uh, fabrication shops that would come in and pick up their own steel. And so I instilled wow. that in my guys to treat everybody that walks in that door um, because everybody has the mentality in the steel business that these are dumb, tr- just dumb truck drivers. And that's right. Yeah. You you would not expect to see the business owner disguised as the truck driver, not even disguised, but as, you know, coming in, doing the job of a truck driver. And you're exactly right. That is a valuable lesson to, to realize that it's not just the dumb truck driver. It could be your biggest, your biggest client sitting there. It wow. It was, and I learned it that. the hard way, So <laughs> Yeah, I would have, oh man, I would have hated to be in that situation. I probably would have wished the earth would have opened up and swallowed me in that office at that point. Uh, so you, could, yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot you can say to recover. When you're that, that young though, do you care? When, you, <laughs> yeah, when you're talking about something true. and you're that that's mad, true. do you really care? No, you know that that's the thing. Your age many times gets you out of that because you get get the inexperience excuse. So that's a good thing. So Scott, you mentioned you took over your um, business and uh, the bean steel in 2006 after your father passed away. What was your biggest fear in taking the helm of the family business? I mean, four generations ahead or three generations ahead of you. Um, you got, had to have a little bit of concerns or some fears that you might have encountered. You know, I think anybody that, that goes into a position, whether it's an executive of a large company or a Fortune 500 or you, you're taking over a family business, I think when you're sitting there, you always worry about making mistakes or what mistakes you're going to make or if you can handle everything that goes on, if you can run it like your predecessor, in this case, my dad and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. There's There's a lot of things that go through your head. And I think ultimately you've got to kind of pick your path, uh, figure out the way that you want to lead, uh, and just gradually phase in those changes. Uh, I had a um, a secretary that was with my dad for a very, very long time, and her and I did not get along. Uh, ah. We did things completely differently. Uh, my dad was just a bottom you know, line kind of guy and didn't need to see mm-hmm. all the facts and figures. Um, me, I came in and I go and I get grant funding and I'm doing uh, a cost analysis, a full comprehensive cost analysis that had never been done. Uh, wow. I want to see all the numbers. I did Excel. She, we did a lot of different things um, mm-hmm. and she couldn't adapt to that. So ultimately, little by little, I needed to make changes. So, you know, basically everybody that my dad had working for the company, including the accountant, the lawyer, um, you know, the, the secretary, eventually I got rid of them all and, and put in wow. my own people that I felt fit the culture of the company that I wanted to build. Mm-hmm. That was, that was tough. That was a tough, tough. Trip. I was going to say, I think that would almost be, that's harder than just starting from scratch, I think, because there's that history there and the, you know, the loyalty that people build as as they work for family businesses. And then, 
to have to navigate that change in leadership that can be a complete paradigm shift, and some people can't make that shift with you. And then to decide, you know, it takes a while sometimes to to let people go like that. You know, you you don't make those decisions overnight, and so. I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been. Was, so you ended up there were some, kind of sorry, starting. See, there were some I agonized over. There, there were some I, that were were really, really tough. Um, but you, you know, you know, you mentioned something about loyalty, and and we can touch touch on that, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit later. But I, I think there there's a loyalty only goes so far. There's very, very few people that you know. I still do things on a handshake. I can still buy and sell steel on my word because I've, uh-huh. I've developed that over the years. But I, I think nowadays uh, you don't see the type of loyalty that I was brought up on. Uh, my grandfather did business deals on a napkin. Uh, wow. Nowadays, if you don't have a contract and you know signatures and you know cross your T's and dot your I's and have everything spelled right. out, the first problem, you know, things things start to go awry and. And I think that's been lost in business now. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree, and it's 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 sad because it takes the it takes the um, integrity out of it, and <clears throat> sometimes because you feel bad having to have all these legal contracts just to get something done many times. So now, as you have kind of transitioned into the role of of being the the owner of the family business and then going out and developing a new product. Have you had any sort of business coach or mentor over the years that you've um, had kind of help you in any of your business roles? Everybody I come in contact with, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And and I say that, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but honestly, Uh the people that I've, you know, come across, you know, if they've done it wrong uh, or I didn't like the way they did it, you know, I learned something. I learned how not. Mm-hmm. And then there were people that I sought advice from because they had been successful uh, or they did something in growing their company that I wanted to learn. So I sought their advice out and asked questions. And so I, I think everything and everybody around you is a mentor or coach. And, and I've learned a lot from my employees. I've learned a lot from the people that I deal with, customers, vendors. Mm-hmm. If you ask a lot of questions, uh, you will get the information that you need. And that, that ultimately as a leader is one of the things that I think is a, is a skill that everybody needs to develop is being able to ask questions and listen. Uh, because I certainly didn't have all the answers w- when I took over the company. And, I, and as I grew it and you know went and got grant funding and did some of those things, I didn't know half of what I needed to know. Um, I just asked a lot of questions and, and sought the information out. And there's a lot of information out there for, for small business owners uh, to help them grow their business and, and expand or do the things that you need. There's a lot of help. They just need to go find it. Well, and I think, too, you mentioned a good point that you had business coaches and help because you asked the questions and you reached out to people. I think many times we're afraid to ask for help or we're afraid to ask for uh, someone else's opinion or input or, or what they would do in a situation but from personal experience, and you can tell me if yours is any different, it seems like the more I ask, the more surprised I am at the willingness of people to help me. Very true. Have you found that? Very, very true. People are willing, if you ask their advice and their expertise, uh, they will talk for hours and hours and hours and give you more than you'll ever need in a lifetime. Uh, people love to talk about themselves and especially their accomplishments and things that they've done and gone well. And I'm the same way. I'm no different. I, I love being mm-hmm. able to share some of the things that we've come across to help me grow my company or that has, you know, furthered my education or allowed me to do some of the things that I've done. Uh, and I love being able to share that. If anybody asked, uh, you know, when you and I had the opportunity to sit down and talk about uh, you know, some of the things that could help. I said, hey, I'd love the opportunity, but and there's a ton of resources. I'd love to share those. Absolutely. And, that, you know, that is something in the business community that you don't always see just in normal marketing and advertising is there is this underbelly of wanting to mutually help each other and knowing that if you go ahead and help someone now, then that same help will eventually be returned to you um, down the road sometimes. But it definitely is a culture of if you ask, there's always people that are honored that you ask and more than willing to share their experiences so that it can help you. Now, Scott, you mentioned um, some of the resources. And I know that when I was obviously doing my research for this interview, um, 
I found that you you seem to have a lot of experience in dealing with um, government. You mentioned the, uh, getting a grant for fifty thousand dollars and um, some other governmental and not even just governmental, but you know dealing with like the University of Michigan or Michigan State. I'm not. I'm not sure which one. It's probably, probably just made a terrible faux pas putting those in the same sentence, right? So. It did, but we bleed, we bleed green and white. Front. Sorry, okay. Michigan fans. Gotcha. But, uh, gotcha. We, uh, so, um, but, but to go back, so it was U of M, and what was available back then, which the, the program, and please don't ask me what the acronym stands for, but it was the, right. early, it was the early grant, and it was uh, – I'm not even going to attempt to try and recall what the, the acronym was actually stand, but it was a $50,000 grant. Uh, it uh-huh. was basically a seventy thousand dollars, seventy seventy percent, thirty percent split. So in other words, we could spend up to fifty thousand dollars, and they would cover thirty five thousand of it. And uh, okay. we put all but a hundred and three dollars to use uh, when, wow. when we did our project. So through that grant, I was able to uh, do the in the it was the first in the company's history a full cost analysis. Uh, that was done by a company called UHY, which was fantastic. I could plug numbers into my spreadsheet, and it would it would give me uh, you know my labor cost. It, we calculated the amount of uh, energy and uh, and energy that the shears pulled and my lights, and so wow. we had pretty much every number at my disposal to figure out how to run my company effectively. Uh, we were able to build a brand new website. We were uh, able to do uh, ISO uh, 9001 2008 certification. Ah, okay. So, and, and we have one other project in there. Uh, I'm trying to recall what it was, but but we managed to squeeze four projects in there. And uh, we did QSLD as well, which is a, a government standard uh, that we use to be able to supply uh, the federal government and at least bid on contracts. So we used almost every dollar of that grant fund available. Now, in the state of Michigan, we have what's called MEDC, which is the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, and I'm almost positive that every state has something similar. Mm-hmm. We have SCORE, uh, which has mentors, business mentors. They're retired business owners, most of them, or they're semi-retired and they still have businesses, and there's a wealth of resources there. And the funny thing about a resource is if you exhaust one, from that, you will gain others if you ask the right questions. Ah, okay. And so, you know, going through MEDC, I kept asking questions. Are there any other grant opportunities? Are there other programs available? How do I cut through the red tape here? And that kind of right. led to like DEGC, which is the Detroit Economic Development Corporation, mm, which okay. led to, let's say, um, when when being steel, being in the city, we could get a what's called an IDD. It's an industrial development district. Uh, surrounding our property, it would cut our taxes by 50%. Oh, wow. So there were so many things that we learned in going through the process just by asking questions and just seeking out what other agencies help small businesses. SBA is another very, very good resource Mm. uh, for doing things. Um, You know, the Small Business Technology Development Center, they've been great to work with. We had for a while a growth group that we worked with. So we'd meet once a month and we'd strategize with them at no cost to us ways that we could expand being still ways we could maybe go in a different direction. And, and we spit out numbers and we, we powwowed for, you know, hours trying to figure out what ways we could, we could make the company grow or cut costs or expand or where we should look or change manufacturing. It was phenomenal. That that's interesting that you say that because um, these are all community resources that you know were available to you right there. They could be different in every community, but the biggest thing is is just diving in, rolling up your sleeves, and starting at one and leading to another and exhausting every other thing. And many times um, these organizations kind of kind of work inter intermingled don't they they one will hand you off to another and refer you to another and oh i need you know you want this let's let's get you in touch with these people and before you know it you've you know you've kind of navigated this labyrinth of government agencies or or economic development organizations that really all just want to help the small business succeed. I mean, is that what you found that they, it was, everything was about what can we do to help you succeed? Yeah. They all run in the same circles, believe it or not. Uh, They, they all know one another. 
uh-huh. the problem that you run into with that at times though is is as much as they all know one another, they also compete right and there's the ego factor that you tend to run into from time to time, but that being said. Believe it or not, they do work fairly well together, and at least they will point you in the right direction and say, "I can't help you here, but go talk to, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, so and so at X Y Z company." Right. And, and we go on there. Like we have the MMTC here, which is the Michigan Manufacturing Technology Center. Uh, again, they couldn't help me on my my, you know, the the problem that I had at the time, but they pointed me in a different direction. So they gave me another piece of the puzzle. And I've gone back to them a number of times on other projects where they could help. So let me ask you this. Um, how how did you, or what was the catalyst for making you reach out to any of these other groups? Was it that um, the business was struggling and you thought, I need some help, or you wanted to go in a different direction and you wanted to expand and you were looking for help? I mean, what would a normal uh thing that a business owner would encounter, what what would cause them to think, hey, there's somebody out there that can help me. I need to reach out for these kind of programs. All of the above. In my case, okay. in my case it was being ambitious and wanting to grow my company. Okay. So you just went looking for help saying what resources are out there to help us grow and help us survive. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and expand and, and maybe go in different directions because it needed to be done. The, the worst thing a business can do is stay stagnant. You either right. be, and in some cases you can't get ahead of the curve, and in some situations you're kind of pigeonholed into your either your product or your process. But but if you're not looking at ways to innovate and change or adapt or get ahead of everybody else or distinguish yourself from the competition, eventually your business is going to exhaust itself and it's going to die. Right, and I think too you mentioned the um, almost like the um, the sessions where you met every week and almost like the I don't want to call it a mastermind group but that kind of thing where you meet and you strategize and you throw out ideas and see what sticks and you get other people's opinion I bet you found that invaluable especially as a business owner that might you know might not have a real deep board of directors or other people there giving you ideas or direction to be able to suddenly turn to other people that have been there and done it and say what else and suddenly you have all these ideas I'm, you know, I don't, I'm by far not the smartest guy in the room. I, I just look that way because I surround myself with very, very good people. Uh-huh. That's a learned skill, <clears throat> excuse me, in and of itself is being able to vet people and do interviews and find out what works in your culture. And uh-huh. we all know hiring, you know, making the wrong hire, uh, it costs you dearly in time, wow. training and labor. So I, you know, I made sure that I surrounded myself with good people and, like I said, you can always learn something from, from just about anybody. Uh, I was fortunate enough that, you know, I was around good business organizations. I joined net business networking groups. Uh, there was a, a group uh, called Perspectives that was through the, somewhat through the SBA, mm-hmm. sitting along with other business owners. And we would sit once a month and, and kind of throw out, hey, I'm having this problem in my business. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's critical mass and, and everybody would stop what they're doing and we'd kind of hash it out and discuss it. Uh, I sit on uh, a couple of affinity groups through Walsh College, uh, mm-hmm. same type of thing. So, you know, you, you look to your colleges, uh, like we have Wayne State. Uh, Walsh has the, the Blackstone Launchpad, which has resources. The, that same Launchpad is available at Wayne State here in Michigan. So, you know, even if they can't help you for uh, whatever reason, like with Walsh, because I'm not an, a student or an alumni, I'm just an, I sit on the Affinity Board. I can't uh-huh. be part of the Launchpad. However, I can ask questions and I can get other resources and information. Ah, so. That's- it's critical figuring out where to plug in and where um, to be able to get access to these resources. And I know they're out there in every state and every community, and I would encourage anyone that is maybe feeling alone and isolated and struggling to reach out because there are some resources. I mean, no um, no business incubator group or university that has uh, business development wants to see businesses close their doors and struggle. So I know there's got to be resources out there for anyone that needs them. And I know here, Christy, like uh, we have uh, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship uh, development uh, groups and incubators at, w- at Wayne State, at U uh-huh. at uh, Michigan State as well. And so even just calling your, your local college or researching to see if they have, you know, because entrepreneurship is huge all across the yes. country, not just in Michigan. 
And right. so by just by calling your local college, that could be the catalyst for sending you in 50 different directions of getting resources because those are the people that deal with it day in and day out. And they're there mm-hmm. to help small business owners be successful. Um, I had never crafted a business plan when I took over Bean Steel. We'd never had one in the company's history. Didn't need one. Uh, the company existed. But when I started set products and we started manufacturing a product, I needed a business plan because we were going to potentially go after venture capital or angel investors, uh, and we needed it. So I actually had to learn how to craft a business plan. So I worked with our local small business technology development center, and they helped me craft my business plan. Um, wow. I needed it for the first time today after you know 15 months. I believe it or not, I needed it today. It was, and it was good that we had it. Most people never, you know, they do their business plan and it goes in a drawer. Um, but it's a, a living, breathing document that, believe it or not, up until recently, I said, I don't need it. I know how to run a company. We don't, right. you know, and it's constantly changing. Why bother? Right. I, I can say it's, it, having gone through the experience, it's a useful tool. And, that is, well, and that's it. It's just a tool. And, you know, the the other part is just being able to admit that after, you know, four generations of running a business and, and actually doing the the tactical part of the business, you're able to say, hey, I need some help doing the strategic part of the new thing. So um, it's great that you got help doing that. And now that you have that done, it's there and it can change and you can revise it, but you always have that basic outline that you know you started here and you go there and then anytime you need it along the way, there it is. So I have a feeling before it's all said and done, you might pull it out and dust it off again and use it. I hope so. I spent four to six weeks crafting it and, there, yeah, and pulling my hair out, and I don't have a lot of hair, as you can see. So yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, there's some differing opinions about that in the business world. Some people say, "I oh, don't wait." You know, I think if you get to a point where you're writing your business plan is keeping you from taking any action whatsoever in your business, then it probably isn't an appropriate use of your time. But as long as you're moving forward and crafting the business plan as you're taking action, um, I don't think that's you know necessarily a terrible thing to be doing those simultaneously. You know, Christy, that's a great point. The, the one thing that small business owners struggle with, and we all do this, we're, we're so busy working in our company mm-hmm. that we don't have the time to work on our company. And mm-hmm. that I'm as guilty of it as anybody uh, but you, you find that as, as all us small business owners, we're all working in our company. And the hardest thing to do is get out of our own way and work on it instead of being in it. And that, there's a, a big distinction between the two. And, you know, I guess if you asked about failures at times or, you know, some of the stumbling blocks, I think as I tried to take myself out of running being steel and kind of delegated that off and hired the wrong people, I, I think I made some bad choices as far as hires and in, in attempting to ah and you know you, you go back and you look in hindsight and said yeah i made those mistakes i won't repeat them uh but the goal ultimately was to grow the company and be better by getting me out of running day to day and being on the plant floor and being able to focus on expansion and new product lines and customer base and doing some of the things that i should have been doing uh i i think i made some mistakes along the way there uh, and, and it's something to to be aware of is, is you're kind of moving. There's a fine line. Yeah, and you know, even talking about working in your business or uh, so much that you can't really work on your business. I think the more you're in the position of struggling as a business owner, the harder it is to step out of that working in your business because you feel like that's where the most productive use of your time is. But if you don't ever get out of that to work on your business, you might never have your business get to the point where you can actually use the strategic you know, focus for that. So I definitely think that's a good point. Now, Scott, as you were um, telling us about your businesses, can you uh, you know, we talked about a little bit of the failures. We talked about the transition from bean steel. Have you ever had it get so bad in the family business, especially after you took the helm of it, where you thought this might not survive and we might actually have to close the doors? And what what did you do? How did you push past that point? And what you know, what were you going through at that time that made you say this is not the end? The uh, the four years from two or five years from 2008 to 2013, all, mm. all five years were in in the steel industry. Uh, we had we saw unprecedented growth, uh, 2007 early 2008, and, and steel pricing kept climbing and climbing and climbing. We were seeing record profits, and the company grew, and 
And then all of a sudden, you, know, you and I had before we, we started taping, we were discussing kind of what the pricing did. And pricing went from, let's say, 50 cents a pound to 25 cents a pound. And wow. you lose a lot of money in inventory real quick. And, and everybody knows that you've got to maintain cash flow. So we were selling, you know, we were still well under the market. Our average cost of inventory was 38 cents a pound. Uh, we were selling calls for 22 cents a pound just to have cash flow. Uh, wow. I can't tell you the number of sleepless nights and 20-hour days I put in, uh, mm. that sick feeling in my stomach going, okay, we can't make payroll. You know, you know, I owe my vendors X and I've got this coming in and we can't pay them. Uh, there were some really, really dark days. Uh, I think I relied a lot on my resilience and my ability to pull through a lot of difficult situations. But there, there were days uh, that I looked at my uh, my office manager and just shook my head. I, I really didn't know what to do and um, didn't know who to turn to at times. Uh, really didn't want to discuss it with my wife. Mm-hmm. Or anybody else, for that matter. One, there's the embarrassment factor that you're kind of watching your your company go down the tubes, and uh, by no fault of your own necessarily, but uh, you got to kind of look at it from outside yourself and outside the business and say, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that my company survives? And I think once you get over the fear uh, and that sick, you know, bottom of you know that sick feeling in the bottom of your stomach that we all get, kind of. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I I can feel that right now when you just talk about it. Police is coming up behind you at sixteen. And you feel <laughs> feeling, right? so I was like, I'm telling my daughter exactly. who's going to be driving pretty soon. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, you know, and I think though the the part about you know that that feeling and those those crazy, um, just those sleepless nights and that terrible sick feeling in your stomach that can either paralyze you and make you completely overwhelmed or it can make you take action. And I think that people respond differently to that. And you seem to be someone that decided taking action is, was the right course um, for getting through that. I don't think you have a choice, but you're right. There, there are some that make that choice and are fighters and will come through it. And there's, there's some that don't, we all know the stats about how small businesses, you know, how many small businesses survive, uh, how many startups uh, fail every year and, you know, mm-hmm. with the numbers and it, it's astronomical. I think ultimately uh, if, if you're passionate about what you do and you love your company or love what it is that you produce or the service you provide, you're going to find a way out of it. Um, you know, I think for me, uh, finding somebody, whether it's a coach, a mentor, a confidant, somebody that can just listen and, and listen objectively and maybe give you some basic advice uh, or just to say, you know what? Hey, you can get through this. You've been through tougher situations. Uh-huh. That in and of itself is enough strength for for a lot of people. At least it was for me uh-huh. to be able to look at it and say, look, you know what? As bad as it is, um, I'll figure a way out of it. And ultimately, I did. And we, you know, it, it was tough. There were a lot of dark days. There were a lot of issues. But uh, you know, I, I did what I thought was right. I, I sat honest to God with my lawyer and my accountant. They all told me to declare bankruptcy and I told them I wouldn't do it. And they thought I was, wow. Nuts. Uh, and I'll remember the conversation. I could tell you what time of day it was, what I was wearing. I tell you what <laughs> but wow. gentlemen, I said, that's just not what I do. Um, I gave people my word and I fought tooth and nail and I, and I swung deals and, and yes, we had to go and make deals with some of the vendors that we settled for like 35 cents on the dollar uh, just to clear out some of the accounts. And they were happy with that, but I did it the mm-hmm. right way. Uh, I could have declared bankruptcy and, and burned everybody. And um, I, I thought the legacy of the company, the company name and my reputation was far more important uh, than money at that point. And because I did that, believe it or not, we got through it. And uh, those, That's- those decisions were important, but that was me. I know plenty of business owners that just said, "Oh, I'm just going to declare bankruptcy, take as much money as I can, and I'm not, and I'll go find something else to do." I just right it that way. You know, it's interesting that um, you say that because I think I have heard uh, over the course of listening to different business people um, talk so many times. The best things have come after you go against conventional wisdom. And so even though you had your lawyer and your banker saying declare bankruptcy, walk away from it, you know, cut your losses, 
to say that's not what I'm going to do. I mean, it happened to you like so many other people that you just said this is this is not who I am, but I'm going to go with my gut, and I'm, my gut tells me to keep going, and look what happens. You come out on the other side. So conventional wisdom or what everyone else would do isn't always the best thing for every entrepreneur because sometimes it just goes, you got to go against the grain. So I love that you did that and we're okay with that. Now, I know um, a lot of the people that I talk to that are small business owners are business-to-consumer type businesses, and your business is um, mostly a, was a business-to-business, wasn't it, with the steel? And how do, what marketing do you use or what type of strategies did you use, especially in a down economy? What do you do when businesses don't have money and their customers are going away? What, what, are you doing, what do you do for marketing? Well, social media is great. There, there's so many tools. Having a good website built. Uh, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be the most expensive website on the block, but definitely having a website. People are, are using the Internet at, re- at a record rate, and, and it's mm-hmm. happening every day. Uh, you can use LinkedIn, obviously Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you, you name it, Twitter. Uh, those are all great ways of getting your brand out there, whether it's, whether it's B2B or business to consumer. Uh, set products uh, is basically going to more or less be – you know, another business to business or even business to the, you know, we're going to do a lot with, with government agencies or county agencies. Right. But we found a number of ways to uh, market effectively and do brochures. And again, social media has been fantastic. Excellent. Great, great tool. And I highly recommend uh, most people do not use, at least in the business world, LinkedIn nearly enough. Mm. I can't tell you the number of connections uh, that I've been able to forge uh, by basically saying, hey, we're, we've developed this product. I'd like your opinion on it. Could, could you please ah. connect with me? Uh, and then from that connection, I said, hey, thanks. And that's led to other avenues uh, as far as set products is concerned in developing our, our cover system. Uh, and people have been very, very generous and very, very helpful. And, and believe it or not, it, it's furthered us along a lot faster by doing that. I know there are some resources online, um, tutorials and things like that for using LinkedIn. So, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's actually how you and I connected. So um, I I have nothing but good things to say about that. But I think, you know, if people haven't used that and might be intimidated, uh, go through online tutorial. Learn how to use it. Learn how to connect with groups. Learn how to make connections. And um, you, you never know. That's the other part is you can contribute um, a lot of content on LinkedIn, I think that some people aren't really aware of as well, and that's a great way to get your word out and get you know some uh, word out about your brand or your products and um, and help educate your customers as well, whether they're businesses or consumers. So that's a, a great great tips there with the the marketing part of that. Now, as far as what your business is right now, when you look at your performance metrics, um, your uh, indicators that are key to your success what are you measuring and why are they important to your business oh i knew you were going to ask me that question see <laughs> i've always been a, uh, a a bottom line kind of guy but you know going through the issues with with my uh, my steel company i kind of learned that you know cash flow is very looking at your cash flow uh looking at now that i'm dealing with inventory in, a, in an actual product more so than just a, a commodity Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you know our inventory levels, our cash flow uh, a lot. I'm looking at the bottom line. I'm looking at expenditures uh, and expenses. I, it, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's still you know for me operational expenses. I, I learned a lot mm. about maintaining and, and controlling operational expenses. Uh, you know payroll and payroll taxes and you know then unemployment and a lot of the things that you think oh that little bit isn't going to matter. Uh, it really does and. I got a great story. One of the airlines years ago removed when they actually served food, uh, and I remember that too. So let's date ourselves. Even <laughs> yes, exactly. Was it Eastern them. Airlines by any chance? <laughs> uh, it might have been even American, but not to mention any names. Uh, there you go. They, they saved you know annual several hundred thousand dollars by removing a couple of olives out of their salads, and That's crazy. you know it's small little things like that that have a huge impact in your business over the course of the year. Uh, so with us, we really watch the operational expenses uh, not growing too quickly and expanding, which aren't necessarily the metrics that you would typically expect. You know, uh, if I were, you know, had my accountant hat on, you know, we could go into ratios and, you know, all the right. good things that exist and turnover. You know, we looked at inventory turnover and dollars and, all, you know, all that good stuff. 
ultimately at the end of the day, I, I look at my expenses, I look at my revenue. If my revenue is you know, above it, great. If it's below it, I'm going to find out why. And, and that's why I said doing a cost model like we mm-hmm. had done uh, off that grant program was invaluable because I could plug every number in and I knew exactly where to make a cut or I knew exactly before I hired somebody at what salary I could hire them at before it started to have an adverse effect on what I was trying to accomplish. Uh, and, and knowing where your money is spent because most business owners that I've talked to have no clue on the day-to-day where their expenses are, you know, where they could possibly make cuts in a cost model and a cost analysis is a fantastic tool to have and being able to just do numbers. And and I realize there's a lot of owners that don't have the time nor the inclination to do it, but I can tell you firsthand that it's a valuable asset to have in your business. You know, I have seen so many, whether it's – you know, whether it's watching Shark Tank on TV or listening to interviews or even, you know, seeing some crazy reality TV of, you know, restaurant nightmares or those kind of things, you see business owner after business owner that has no idea what their actual cost is on anything. Um, And they, or they think they have their costs, but it only takes into consideration the cost of goods, not everything else that goes into that. And so I think, you know, you're right. That is an intimidating thing to start looking at and taking into consideration. At the same time, it might reveal some ugly numbers that you really don't want to deal with. It's like, you know, not wanting to look at your checking account if you're afraid it's Uh, going to be in the negative. You know what I mean? So you don't, you don't want to do that. And so, but I do think then in order to fix it, you have to know what you're dealing with, and that, that's definitely great advice. Is, is knowing the cash is, is king and that cost, controlling those costs are the only way to change um, your operational expenses and get them under control. So Even if it's on a limited basis, Chrissy, I, I highly recommend every business owner talk to their accountant a few times a year. Uh, um, okay. we, we had our accountant, even if it's just a basic Excel spreadsheet, Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, the grant funding, uh, at least in the early program, doesn't exist anymore. And most owners may not have access to that in their state, but mm-hmm. they have access to an accountant. And an accountant can come in uh, in a good, reputable firm and, or somebody that you trust can look at and say, look, I need to have these things in my business. I need to know where, you know, my freight expenses. I need to know where my manufacturing expenses scrap. You know, all the things mm-hmm. that go into whatever it is that you're making or doing or your process or your services, time, gas, you know, all of those things should go mm-hmm. through your model. But your accountant can do that for you. And I highly recommend, you know, once or twice a year having them come in and check it. And it's a process. You, you do it and then you realize, OK, well, we're missing a few things. We need to add this in or mm-hmm. I don't need this, but I need, you know, these three things added. Mm-hmm. And an accountant, believe it or not, is more than willing and happy to do that for you. And it's a great tool. It's, it, it's a great starting point anyway. Well, and it also helps you as a business owner prioritize what is going to be the most effective um, thing to focus on because I mean let's face it you could get all gung-ho and try to you know cut operational expenses and if you cut the wrong thing you might end up you know not really seeing the gain that you wanted and if you'd gone at it a different way you might have been able to get a whole lot more return on that so that's great 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 advice now hindsight's always twenty twenty. that's what they say anyway so uh, looking back over all your years as a, you know, working your way up in the family business and then taking the helm of the family business and then transitioning into almost like a startup mode, what's the overarching main lesson you've learned in business that you could share with other business owners or people that want to be business owners? You realize it's not an easy question, Christy. It's not an easy question, and it might even be more than one answer. <laughs> You know what? It's 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 a it's tough. I think over the years, having you know, I, my biggest fear was was could I do a startup because I right you know having you know I was a professional golfer and I, I left high school to go play professional golf and then quickly found out shooting sixty seven sixty eight wasn't going to be good enough and then I came back <laughs> and got into the family business which was which is a smarter move. So right. I you know you I don't have an MBA I don't have a business degree I'm I'm pretty much a, a, a self taught you know hard knocks business owner. Mm-hmm. And then you look at it and you go back and say, okay, well, now I'm going to do a startup. Well, I don't know anything about doing a startup or forming an LLC or doing your incorporation papers and all that stuff had mm-hmm. been done. 
Um, so that was a big learning curve. I, I think if you're passionate about whatever it is that you want to do, if, if you're selling a product or, or you're baking cupcakes or whatever it is, right. if you want to do it, you'll find a way to do it um, regardless. Uh, I've done it both ways. I was fortunate enough to come in and, and grow up in a family business that was successful uh, and went through difficult times. And then I was fortunate enough to, to do a startup uh, and learn lessons there. I, you know, Ultimately, I look at it and say, if you're passionate about it, you will find a way no matter what, whether it's a, a existing business that might be struggling or is doing well and you need to, to take it to the next level, uh, you'll find the way to do it. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I, I think ultimately it's about passion. It's about loving what you do. Uh, if, and if you don't love it, uh, it's going to make it really, really hard when you face difficult times or you really have opportunities and you may not, uh, you may not go after them. My dad never loved the business. Uh, he was there by default because uh, mm. my grandfather was there, and uh, he never grew it like he should have. And, and it was maybe short-sighted. I kind of understand why he did what he did. Uh, but ultimately, his passion wasn't into it. And, mm -hmm. you know, he regretted that. And uh, I kind of made the decision in transitioning over that I was going to do something or produce something that, that had an impact in the community around us. Mm -hmm. One and it was something that I felt very strongly about. And uh, and Justin and I, who was my partner, absolutely love uh, the new product that we've developed. Uh, we mm -hmm. think it's going to be very beneficial not only in Detroit but around the country. So I, ultimately, it's you know doing what you love to do, regardless. Well, of and and I was going to say you've kind of turned. Um, you know, it's it's not so much that you have this all-consuming passion for steel. <laughs> you know, it's that you have. That that is just the tool and the mechanism to change the community and to grow your business and all those other things. So many times, it's um you know it's, especially when you go into a family business. I mean your your dad might not have been passionate about steel, and your your grandfather or even the guy that started might not have been passionate about steel. But that was what was there, and that was what presented itself at the time, and it grew out of that. But still, you can have a passion that can allow that steel to achieve all your dreams and all the th change you want to bring about in the community. So I think passion is definitely something. And I also heard you say, find a way. And I always uh, go back to that Ted talk that uh, Diana Nyad did after she swam from Cuba to Key West. And she just said, find a way, find a way to do it. If it's something you want to achieve. So I think that's awesome advice. Six attempts. Was it for Diane for her? Five um, yeah, it was like, I think it was her sixth time at 64 years old, which puts all of us to shame. Um, cause I know I wouldn't attempt to do that at, at half of her age. So it's, it's just crazy, but find a way and you can make it happen. Now, um, what do you, what's the next step for your business? What do you see? I know you've got, you know, you've got the year or so into the startup. W what's the next step for it? Where are you going with it? So, <clears throat> so set right now. Uh, we are now starting to go after funding. We're, we're on our sixth. We've, we've produced six generations of product, and, and we've got a really, really strong product now. And, and so Sut manufactures a, a steel cover that uh, we use on vacant, abandoned, foreclosed, and blighted properties. Uh, and we know that's been a huge problem in Detroit. We know it's a huge problem across the country, not just in Detroit. Um, you know, we look at Pittsburgh, and we look at mm. Cleveland, even down by you, believe it or not, with all the mm -hmm. years. Uh, and some of the damages. So we are actually going after funding. Uh, we're we're looking to comp, uh, foundations like the Skillman Foundation uh, that is very active in fighting blight. We have the Blight Authority here in Detroit that we're working with. Uh, we've partnered with the Motor City Blight Busters. They're using our product on uh, the, what's going to be their future youth center uh, and headquarters for Farm City Detroit. They cleared out two whole blocks of blighted homes and wow. they turned it into an urban garden. And the wow. home that remains is uh, one that Set Products is protecting. Uh, it, it's fantastic. They haven't haven't touched the house or the system as of yet, and we haven't had any break-ins, knock on wood. So wow. we see Set uh, expanding rapidly and, and uh, being, you know, going nationwide at some point. Uh, we can basically pick up the process uh, and drop it anywhere uh, because we can kind of source the logistics and the steel uh, we just need to find the fabricator. Uh, ultimately, we hope to have our own hub in Detroit, uh, move right back into the city, uh, bring some jobs back to Detroit for, for the city as well, and uh, manufacture our products there. So uh, we want to see manufacturing rebound, uh, not just in Michigan, but in, in the United States as well. 
And uh, so we're, we're going to look to uh, get our own facility at some point, have our own laser table and our own fabricators, uh, and really hit a home run with this product. We're, we're really excited about it. And you'll be creating more jobs by doing that too, right, with the manufacturing of that? We will. One of, one of the things that's in our business model is we feel that um, neighbors, neighborhoods are going to grow uh, if the people within those neighborhoods are actually participating. So we want to mm-hmm. bring them on board to install our systems. Uh, mm-hmm. I have another nonprofit, uh, believe it or not, that uh, I teach golf to uh, wounded warriors and uh, others with disabilities. So we'd like to uh, partner up with a couple of veteran organizations and uh, put some veterans to work as well and uh, uh, make that part of our business plan and uh, bring veterans and, and then again the, the local community, wherever that may be, whether it's Detroit or, or elsewhere. Love that. Love. I, I know local business is the key to economic recovery for so many communities, and I'm so excited that you're doing that. You know, I just realized, Scott, that we probably have not given a great explanation of what set products is. Um, let me tell you what I know about it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but essentially, in traditional places where there's abandoned houses or uh, blighted properties, you will see uh, windows and doors boarded up with plywood or some other type of wood, and it can easily be destroyed, uh, broken into. Uh, it deteriorates over time, depending on how long <laughs> how long it's it blight. It yeah, it gets less less time in Detroit than a lot of places. Um, and so, what you've created is using steel you've been able to manufacture uh, closures for, or coverings, I should say, for windows and doors that essentially get installed, make an impermeable uh, entrance, or, or uh, that, that entrance, entrance into the building, the vacant building, whatever it used to be, is now impermeable because it's covered with steel. And um, the best part is that whenever that property is now being renovated or reused, that steel is ready to come off, all of that can then be reused on another property or another uh, installation. Is that a pretty good uh, assessment of it or... What else do we need to tell about Christy, it? Christy, what do you want per hour? Because you, yeah. you just got hired as uh, the marketing <laughs> I stumbled, I stumbled through your advertising uh, your representative for set products. So you, you got it perfect. Uh, okay. The set system uh, is, is really interesting. We use a tamper-resistant screw. Uh, we have uh, keyways that are built in at the tops of each of the pieces so they can be hung relatively easily uh, by a single individual. And so, wow, a two-man crew can go in. Uh, they set one screw hang it almost like you're hanging a picture. One guy can drill the holes or set the screws and they can work around a house relatively quickly. Uh, what makes our system unique is we have a hinged door system that believe it or not is built entirely around the lock. Now Master Lock developed a shackle that's 50% harder, it's a, a boron alloy, uh, that is 50% harder than anything they've ever developed. And then when you close it, it's completely shrouded in brass. And so mm-hmm. couple that with our reinforced, uh, the, the lock hole uh, is reinforced on both sides, both on the door side and the frame side. So we have almost, uh, you know, half to three quarters of an inch of steel with a lock that is 50% harder in the shackle and completely shrouded in brass. It's really, really hard to get through. So, so it makes it so much more work to try to even break into these houses than anything they could even get out of them. Correct. And, it, and we do first floor only, and it still allows an ingress, egress, so you can remove the lock, stick it back in the hole. So while they're rehabbing the house, they can leave their tools on site. You don't have to worry about your furnace or your water tank disappearing out the door like you would typically have with plywood. They would just bust it out and right. carry out the furnace. And uh, it, it's a neat system. It's it's very, very cost effective. Uh, what we're finding is that typically when you can do a house uh, with plywood between 600 and, you know, $1,200, uh, and we're kind of, our price point's kind of right at the upper end of that. But what's unique is, like you said, you can remove the system, you can put the system back up. It's a green product, so it's recyclable, you know, after five, mm-hmm. 15, we don't know the lifespan because it's, it's mm-hmm. automotive coated steel. They use this in oh, wow. your car. So it's a, it's a, it's a coated galvanil that we use automotive grade. And uh, so we know it's going to last, you know, 10, 15 times. Well, now you're recouping your money. So if you're a city wow. and you purchase a system and you know, you like a land bank, let's say, yes. and you're going to reuse these. So you purchase it once and now you can reuse it three, four five times. Well, now you're not out that money. Uh, one, the original, you know, 
purchase of the plywood, but then when they damage it two or three times and you have to go replace it, plus the scrap, plus you know it's ineffective, plus the damage to the home, right. our system makes a huge impact all the way around the board. So It's just a win-win from the environmental impact to the uh, the low cost compared to what's out there right now, but plus how much more effective it is at actually keeping people out of the abandoned property. And I know, you know that is so critical sometimes for the people that are left in these communities where, you know, if you are a homeowner and you're on a street where now 50% of the houses are abandoned and suddenly you begin to see people taking up in these abandoned houses and you see more and more broken windows, you see people coming and going all night, soon you have drug activity, soon you have all the other things that come along with it. And so what you're essentially doing is you're not just preserving your ha that, the abandoned house, you're preserving the community um, by being able to keep undesirable elements out of those abandoned buildings. So I know that is so critical in Detroit, but not just that area. So many areas of the country need that kind of stuff. So we are going to link up um, your website and that sort of thing in our show notes so people can go there and find the links to set products and um, see some of the things you guys are doing on your website and that sort of thing. So. That's excellent. Um, what's the favorite tool you have in the day-to-day -day running of your business? Email. Email. Email okay. on iPad, laptop, and cell phone. Uh, okay, and that's all you need. I, huh? I, won't, I won't mention. <laughs> we, Christy, we do so much by email uh, back and forth, and I know there's other applications that make uh, communication easier and faster, and, and, you know, I'm techie but not that techie. Right. <laughs> I, I literally, you know, I think Justin and I, you know, on a day-to-day -day back and forth with email, I think we do more on email between smartphone, iPad, and laptop um, than anything else that we possibly use, believe it or not. Um, wow. And it's a great tool. Excellent. Um, as a parting thought, we've kind of given a little bit of uh, of uh, hindsight and, and what you could share with other business owners, but... As you look back and, and all the things that you've learned over the course of the years, is there something that you, if you could say to somebody that's just starting out in business, a piece of advice that you wish you had known back then that you could share with them right now? I, I think ultimately surround yourself with good people from the onset. So uh -huh. if, if it's starting out, when we started set, uh, find a law firm that you know, specifically does LLCs or, or S corporations or, or is, it, that's their specialty. When we filed our, our patent for uh, the design and manufacture of the set system, we found mm -hmm. a really, really good patent firm. So when they did it, it was done well and it was done right and it was worth the extra dollars. Uh, and if you don't know, ask. Um, and Absolutely. Christy, I will make myself available uh, you know, if somebody wants to email me and they have a question, uh, I'd be more than happy if they want to shoot me an email. Uh, usually I'm pretty good within a day or two of getting back. But, you know, if there's awesome. questions on, you know, uh, a resource that they might need or, uh, you know, something else comes up and they have a question, I'd be more than willing to help. And one of the other things, and we didn't really touch base on it, and I'll kind of just mention it. Sure. Think outside the box. Uh, ah. You never know what opportunities like we were just discussing set products being green well uh -huh. it lends itself to hey can we go after grant funding because it's a green product it's recyclable ah, most right. people, when you think about it, you're going to scrap the you're going to scrap it at the end of its life cycle yeah right time it's a green product right uh -huh. why, why can't we go after grant funding and some of the other mm. there uh there's a there's a great tool called um for any business it's called grant gopher and ah. each week they'll send you, you know, some of the grants, but it's a great tool to, to kind of mine for grants for whatever your particular company may be. And, and it doesn't apply for everybody, obviously. Right. You know, a lot of nonprofits use it, but there are other companies that you may find a grant in there that might apply because you're a technology company and there's a technology grant available. And it may be ah. maybe $100,000. You never know. Right. But those things are there. And and one other thing that I'll mention is there's a lot of local foundations like we have Kresge Foundation here or the Skillman Foundation. All those foundations are, are in our area, are they, they do specific things uh, as far as neighborhoods and community improvement. So for us, those are our you know points of contact. But mm -hmm. those are other places to reach for information. And um, 
you know, you may ask questions there. So like I said, there's a million resources. You've just got to be willing to, to think outside the box and ask a lot of questions. And I think the hardest thing for an owner or a leader is to listen, 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 because there's, there's a ton of information out there. If you just go looking and, and you ask the right questions and you listen. Excellent advice. And Scott, I'm going to, um, in the show notes, I'm going to link up to all these resources that you've mentioned, the Grant Gopher and, uh, even with your uh, email, um, where to find you online. Um, do you, you guys have a Facebook page? We do have a Facebook page. Is it uh, facebook.com forward slash? Set Products. Is it Set, set Products? Inc. Okay. Okay. Set Products, Inc. I'll find it. See, that's a tough question sure right there because, you know, we, we put it in there when you first do your Facebook page. and then Yeah. Ever- Later on, you go, that's not user-friendly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> But Facebook, I, and they can get us through the website, and uh, okay. there'll be some changes coming to our website pretty soon. We're gonna we're looking at doing e-commerce uh, for the oh good okay. So so there'll be some interesting things coming up, and believe it or not, we're already looking at ex, ex, I wouldn't call it an expansion, but we're already looking at going lighter, and we're out, we're looking at alternative materials for the system itself. Ah. So there is already we're already looking ahead down the road. Um, ideally, we'd like to to make the product uh, so maybe a 105-pound woman could, you know, possibly put this up to cover her cottage. Let's say up north, like in northern Michigan, where we're where right. other cottages. Uh, you you know, we've got to close those up and and secure those. Well, the system would be ideal for that, but we we need to make it a little bit lighter uh, and a little bit easier to handle so that um, you know you know a 100-pound woman could go in there and, and set the system. Absolutely. So, tornadoes and hurricanes. So yeah. here's the thing. If you look at our logo, Chris, here's, here's a little tidbit. There are, sure. I, I believe, five different things that you can see in our logo. It's kind of like the FedEx logo with the little forward-thinking arrow. Uh-huh. You take a look at our logo the next time, see if you can figure out what those things are. Five things. Yeah, my daughter okay. had to point out the fifth one. The, the other ones were by design. So. Oh, wow. You just had like a bonus one thrown in. I did, and that was thanks to my, my – at the time, it was my five-year-old that looked at it and go, Daddy, <laughs> i got to give it away, but, there's uh, some some unique new things in in the design of our logo itself. So I think you'll get Excellent. an idea from from looking at the logo and you go, oh, that makes sense. Now I know where they're going to go and what they're looking at down the road. Yeah, no doubt. We'll have to. Uh, we, we might need to have a contest or something like that. If you can send me the five things, you got to we got to give away something. Like that. We'll, fix it. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that out. That's not a. Problem. That's right. That's right. If you find the five things in the set products logo, send them to me, and we'll get them to Scott and see if we're right yeah. and. Uh, pass them along and we'll we'll get you a prize there one last thing christy while i'm thinking sure absolutely for all the for all the owners give back to your local community it's very Ah. important that if you have a you know standing business that that you take care of the community around you we were on an industrial road but um on both sides of us and down the block uh, we were actually uh in a residential area and uh, we worked really closely with our block club and keeping our building and our lot clean and, and keeping the rats and mice work with your local community. Uh, it will come back uh, down the road somewhere. You may want to expand uh, and, you know, if you're part of your local community and, and helping make things better, you know, you're going to get less resistance. When we went to expand, uh, we had very few problems because the, the community around us knew, even though we were doing, uh, you know, we were cutting steel and it was it was loud, that if we expanded, it wasn't going to cause a problem in the neighborhood and we'd maintain the standards. So, all I can say is make sure that you give back uh, to your, your your black clubs, your local community, uh, your foundations. Uh, it will it will benefit your business in the long run, and it benefits the community, and you'll feel much better at the end of the day having done that. Absolutely, and that's you know that's one of the things why our focus is on local business here on the the Brick and Mortar Reporter podcast is we know that economic recovery in any community can be completely brought about if enough people got behind the local businesses in that area. And if you shift, you know, people say, oh, 10%. Some people say just $20 a week. It doesn't really matter what the shift is, but every dollar that you can possibly spend and keep in your local community is going to be much better than sending it to a large corporation that will keep a fraction of that in your community and might not necessarily be the good stewards of your community that you would be. You know, those local businesses are the ones that are going to support the nonprofits and, you know, back the little league teams and employ your neighbors. And uh, so we definitely believe there's so much value in building the community 
by building the business. Well, so that's well, definitely a great point. So, Scott, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I hope that whenever you get down this way, if it's for golf or uh, any other fun and exciting adventures, you will have to look me up because I will definitely take a lesson from you. I, I, I have nowhere to go but up with my golf games. Uh, so. I'll be happy to give you the lesson, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that, you know, have, look, looking at your picture because, you know, everybody else can't see it, but you're a big kayaker and so am I. Yes. And uh, Love uh, fishing it. and, uh, you know, if I get down your way, definitely, you know, ultra definitely running, ultra running, you know, territory for me and, you know, getting down into the mountains and, you know, absolutely. Greenville was fantastic. And, I loved it down there. So. Well, and we've got plenty of kayaks, so we always have a spare to take along friends. So definitely look me up when you're down here, but it has been a pleasure. I am so thankful for the amount of time that you've given us today and so many things that people can actually take and walk away and tomorrow go out and take action on. So I appreciate that and um, appreciate all the resources that you've shared with us tonight. So Thank you again from the bottom of my heart, and uh, we will be in touch. My, my pleasure, Chrissy. Thanks so much All for right. having me. Thank, thanks so much, Scott. Have a good night. You too. If you've enjoyed listening to this interview today and you've enjoyed the content and the experiences that were shared here, I would be so happy and so grateful if you would take the time to go into iTunes, leave us a quick review or rating. We appreciate all your feedback. We love hearing from you. We want to make this podcast the best it can be with every single episode. So hop on over to iTunes. I'll have the link listed in the show notes, and you can give us a review and or rating, and we thank you for it. You can find all the resources mentioned in this podcast in the show notes at www.brickandmortarreporter.com. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.